As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, he arrived with a broken jaw and a bruised reputation, but Chelsea did secure Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's Premier League return just before Thursday night's transfer deadline. We're recording this on Tuesday morning and tonight he's poised to make his first start for his new club in the Champions League at Dinamo Zagreb. Is he the final piece of Todd Bowley's big jigsaw? Why were Barcelona happy to let him leave so soon after he had joined? And how does this 33-year-old version of Aubameyang fit into Thomas Tuchel's team? We will achieve some big things, I'm sure about this. So I will try my best to help the team and come on you blues. Joining me to explain all the athletics, Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey and a man who knows everything about Barcelona, Paul Ballas. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Aubameyang, can he find a way through? You bet he can. That is top, top class. Always stay your players in, in, in a way, and Oba is one of these guys. He was seen as a good influence to that dressing room, probably because he had a point to prove in Barcelona after like a bad departure from Arsenal. There was one Abramovich era signing, I'm not going to say who, who point blank refused to take the number nine shirt at Chelsea because they'd been told that it was cursed. In the last years, we haven't had a goal scorer that scores 20 25 uh, goals per season, which you obviously need to. to to win the title. Liam, let's crack on with it then, and I'll start with you. Does it feel like the signing of Aubameyang is emblematic of Chelsea's transfer window? I think it's emblematic of how quickly things changed in Chelsea's transfer window because the ownership went back and forth on this signing. This is far from you know, plan A from day one of the summer. Chelsea looked at other players, other forwards. They, I mean, they looked at Lewandowski, but obviously his heart was always set on Barcelona. There were other high-profile targets, young and old, that they assessed before Aubameyang. And it was only really in the final weeks of the window, more opportunistically than anything, because Lewandowski went to Barcelona, and a few other circumstances changed for Aubameyang there, that it became clear that this was a deal that could be done. And once it became clear that it could be done, I think Thomas Tuchel made it very clear that he 
really wanted to work with Aubameyang again. I mean, we've we've got that impression from listening to him publicly. Again, but we know very well what you get with Oban. He was very keen to come back to Premier League, and we're very happy that we could make it happen. He delivers normally everywhere where he played. He delivers he delivers goals, but more important, he delivers also speed and work rate against the ball. So it's uh, a, a big package. Aubameyang is one of the few players that he never passes up an opportunity to to talk glowingly about as a player and a person. But even then, in the sort of final week or so of the window, we were told there were still doubts within the ownership about whether Aubameyang was the right way to go for Chelsea. His age, um, some of the character questions that have been in the past, of course, certainly at Arsenal. And it was only really after the Leeds and the Southampton defeats that everyone at Chelsea aligned. Then they focused on talks with Barcelona and got the deal done for terms that I think they're happy with. Before I get into the the deal and the terms and, and Barcelona side of things, when you say the ownership went back and forth on this, is that Todd Bowley having a conversation with himself? Who who um, Where are the balance and the checks? Well, I mean, it's an ownership group, a bit like FSG. Um, that's certainly what they're trying to model themselves on. Todd Bowley is what they call the operator. He's the he's the face of the club day to day. Of course, in this window, he's been the interim sporting director as well. So he's the he's the person that everyone associates um, with the Chelsea ownership publicly. But you've also got Badadeg Bali um, and Jose Feliciano, who are co-founders of Clear Lake Capital, the the private equity firm that owns sixty two percent of the club. Um, so they have a pretty big say in all major decisions and and in the course of putting together our big transfer window read it became very clear to us that Egg Barley in particular uh, was very active very involved in all of the football decisions with Bowley and they were very much working in partnership Um, so when when you're talking about something like the Aubameyang signing it's all of those people in the conversation they've all got advisors as well um thomas tuchel has has a voice you have other investors in the group who are who are, who are slightly more minor but still there um so it, it is a conversation it's not just Bowley kind of making decisions for himself let's uh look at it from a barcelona point of view before we we drill down as well into what obamiang will bring to chelsea and what chelsea ho- hope to get out of obamiang and, and presumably, Paul, this is just all about money because if you look at what he did on the field, Barcelona wouldn't be happy for him to leave, would they? Yeah, I think that now when you look at it, it's probably like the perfect business for FC Barcelona because they got him on the cheap, well, for free, basically, and they sell a 33-year-old for money. But in footballing terms, as you were saying, it was not like the plan A, it was not the desired option. Um, he earned Xavi's trust during last season with the numbers that you have just mentioned. He was able to, and he was up to play a role for the team. And he could play as a forward, as a winger. Um, he could perform like in a mobile uh, front line. That is basically what Xavi wanted. But as we all know, it wasn't an easy window for Barcelona. Um, and the plans, design, they didn't work out all of them. Because probably if you ask like some executive at Barcelona, they would have preferred to sell players like Frankie de Jong, like Memphis Depay. Probably Frankie de Jong because he would have like a bigger impact like in the La Liga salary limits, basically. Uh, and Memphis Depay, I think that was lower in the pecking order of Xavi. But at the end, I think that Aubameyang was the only player that had a genuine interest from a 
will really be club. And at the end of the day, any ease off for their numbers was more than welcome. And Ova was a realistic opportunity. And I think that's, that's what made the deal happen, basically. I, did, I want to talk Barcelona's transfer window with you a bit later on as, uh, cool. as, as well. Uh, on the Aubameyang deal then, when he joined, he joined on a free. Yeah. Did Arsenal still pay him? How, I mean, how much, how did this all work? Finally? I mean, this, uh, this is a, like a podcast series. I mean, we need yeah, yeah. six podcasts to work out Barcelona's financials. But how, how did Aubameyang work out financially for Barcelona? Um, in his first season, Arsenal was still paying some of his salary. He left on the free and Arsenal was still paying for him. And, and then on this second season, um, his salary was expected like, to go up like, massively. Um, and basically, Barcelona wanted to compensate the pay cut that Aubameyang took on the first season um, just in this second season. Um, so that's what makes like an even perfect deal for them because when Aubameyang was like expected to get like a bigger salary, um, they were able just to move him to Chelsea. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's just a factor that makes the operation just a better one for Barcelona, even though they didn't really plan to do it. So just to clarify, they're going on a free. They basically, most of his wages were paid by Arsenal and now they've got a, and now they've got a transfer fee for him to go to Chelsea, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> fair play to them. That that I mean, that is a good deal. Yeah, yeah, that is a good deal. I mean, he arrived to Barcelona like as a free agent, but like the pay cut that he took to join Barcelona is basically what he forgave to Arsenal. Did he want to leave? I think that at the end of the day, he was happy to leave because football is business, um, and he understood that. Barcelona was happy to move him on and that he would find at London and at Chelsea a manager that trusted him too, as Xavi did. But in Barcelona, they people say and sources from the club say that he was really happy in, with life in the city. But yeah, as I was saying, he I think that he kind of understood that football is a business and living in London wasn't a bad option for him either. How were Barcelona fans towards him I, I think it's fair to say he may have some unfinished business in this country and we'll get Liam's view on that in just a moment but how did Barcelona fans take to him especially bearing in mind you know 13 goals in 23 appearances if a new signing does that you're happy with them aren't you he's like received a lot of love from Barcelona fans like in the recent days basically because like the the performance that he has given to the club has been I don't think there are many like winter signings that has performed at the level that Aubameyang has for Barcelona. I think that if Barcelona is on the Champions League right now, Aubameyang has a big part um, of responsibility for it. He was like present in a really big day for Barcelona last season. That was the 4-0 win at the Santiago Bernabeu, which was like really a really big moment for the fans. So I think that, yeah, the memories that he leaves at the Camp Nou are great, to be honest, which is... Something that probably we were not used to see with Obama Young, especially like at Arsenal. Liam, what what do you make of, or what and what do Chelsea fans make of signing of the, the character? First of all, we'll we'll come on to where he fits into a system and all of that in just a little while. But Obama Young, the person is there is there slight trepidation? 
I think the biggest obstacle that most Chelsea fans are wrestling with right now is is Aubameyang's status at Arsenal for so long and the fact that he single-handedly beat them in an FA Cup final. <laughs> um, <laughs> those tend to be the things that, that fans get most hung up on. But I think if he scores a few goals for Chelsea, that, that will recede a bit. Um, in terms of the character, you know, he wasn't done any favours by his portrayal in that All or Nothing documentary and, and just the general coverage around his departure from Arsenal painted him in a very bad light. Something. Um, following the last disciplinary issue that we had with Oba, and we have decided as a club that he's no longer our captain. The other decision is that for now, he's not involved in the squad. But weighing against that are the words of Thomas Tuchel, which you know, most Chelsea fans still put an awful lot of store in, and he could not have been more effusive in his praise of um, Aubameyang as a character and as a professional as well. He's he's basically been a character witness for this transfer, saying that the the punctuality issues are massively overblown with him, that he was a, he was a great professional on the training ground, always worked hard on the pitch, was a was a you know a ray of positivity within the squad and, and kind of a good influence on the younger players in that sense. And of course, he scored goals. Now the caveat to all of this is that it's been about six years since Thomas Tuchel worked with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You know, both of them have probably changed significantly in that time. And of course, six years is a long time in a football career. And Aubameyang is 33 now. He's not necessarily the same player he was then. Those are questions that are still to be answered on the pitch. But in terms of what Chelsea fans are thinking about the deal, I think they're willing to give Tuchel the benefit of the doubt on this. Um, because it's clear that the team is crying out for a more clinical edge. And Aubameyang showed enough, I think, in the second half of last season at Barcelona to suggest that he still has the capability to provide that. Yeah, I think that basically like the impression that he left at the dressing room was the same um, that Tuchel has mentioned like really along the way. Xavi has praised like his good mood, like the like the good bond that he had with his teammates. I think that he had a really good influence like on Usman Dembele, who was a really close friend. And that has been seen as a miracle in Barcelona because not, not, no one thought that Usman Dembele could be like reshaped into an actual football player. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that, that all the fans were like pretty happy with him. And I mean, that's part of the love that I told you that Barcelona... Uh, fans sent him uh, in the last couple of days just after his departure was confirmed. I think that it was basically because he was seen as a good influence to that dressing room. Probably because he had a point to prove in Barcelona after like a bad departure from Arsenal. Um, and I think that now at Chelsea, if you have, if you want to see it that way, he he also has a point to prove, basically. That's the upside of the Aubameyang deal to Chelsea. Obviously, we've heard a lot about the Tuchel-Aubameyang relationship. Uh, so we asked uh, German football writer Raf Honigstein to remind us how things actually ended for Aubameyang at Dortmund. Thomas Tuchel was absolutely instrumental in bringing out the best of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang during those two years they had together at Dortmund. Aubameyang really went to a whole new level when Tuchel came in. And the Jurgen Klopp, he sometimes played on the wing, sometimes more through the middle after Lewandowski's departure. But Klopp's transition football was thought to bring the best out of him in terms of his pace on the break. But Tuchel showed that with a few tweaks uh, tactically and uh, in terms of working with the player, 
his pace could also be utilized in smaller spaces and he taught him to make these little runs diagonal runs in the box and move differently but with the same intent and Aubameyang became a goal scoring sensation in Germany winning even the golden cannon uh, the trophy for the leading goal scorer ahead of Lewandowski in the second season which was uh, no mean feat at all there was also an interesting dynamic to their personal relationship because Thomas Tuchel early on realized that Aubameyang needed some special dispensation when it came to his promise with punctuality which is very important in Germany as you can imagine and treated him slightly differently more leniently than others it brought out some really good performances from Aubameyang but at the same time bred a little bit of resentment with others in the dressing room who felt that he was perhaps setting a, a bad example and some observers in Dortmund feel that the fracture in the dressing room that was very much evident towards the latter, uh, the later stages of Tuchel's uh, reign there, where some of it was rooted in the special treatment that Aubameyang enjoyed. So a double-edged sword, as they say, but certainly he's shown that um, he can really make Aubameyang work in both senses of the word. Do you think this is good business for Chelsea, Liam? I, th- I think you have to handle that as a separate question from the good business for Barcelona angle because Chelsea's owners couldn't think about that. Um, and they and they also couldn't think about how much Barcelona have annoyed them this summer <laughs> over <laughs> Rafinha and Jules Koundé. You know, the, the, the people running Chelsea make business decisions and they have to make business sense. And I think part of the reason... Uh, there was reticence about Bamiyang initially were some of the terms involved, the price that Barcelona were asking for, um, the fact that Bamiyang was asking for a, a guaranteed three-year contract. And I think if those things had remained in place, Bamiyang would not be a Chelsea player now. The fact that Barcelona gave ground on the asking price that Chelsea got a significant discount for that, of course, Marcus Alonso kind of folded into the deal as well, which is another thing Chelsea wanted. And that they've been able to get Bamiyang to agree to a two plus one with performance incentives on that third year, I think makes a big, big difference. And it, it significantly lowers the downside risk of this deal for Chelsea. That, you know, there, there are still risks of unforeseen circumstances. You know, Tuchel could leave in a year or two and the new coach could, could not like Bamiyang, not want him in the squad. Bamiyang could just come and, and, not be a, a a very good Premier League player anymore. You know, all of these things are possible. Um, but I think Chelsea are happy with the terms of the deal they've done. They feel like they couldn't have got a goal scorer of Aubameyang's proven pedigree for this kind of price anywhere else in Europe this summer. And it's someone that Tuchel is very comfortable working with. So there's, there's every reason to be optimistic about it. Uh, are we are we still going uh, an out and out goal scorer here? Yeah, so I think he's the kind of out and out goal scorer that Tuchel I, I, wants. Sorry, Liam, I mentioned that. I mentioned that because you've got to go back six years to when he hit thirty one goals for Dortmund. Sure. So so and I, we've mentioned his stats at Barcelona, which were great thirteen in, in twenty three. Are they going to use him as an out and out goal scorer? I think they're going to use him in that front three. And I think there will be some positional positional interchange with Raheem Sterling, Kai Havertz, Mason Mount. I think it will usually be three of those four who plays from the start. Um, and I think that's honestly one of the things that Tuchel likes about him, that he's not a fixed 
number nine in the way that Romelu Lukaku was, um, and and that he he will he will do the work off the ball that Lukaku wouldn't necessarily do. His movement will be a little bit more uh, less predictable and a bit more fluid than Lukaku's was. Um, so in that sense, the football fit should be a little bit cleaner. You still have the problem that most of the teams Chelsea face uh, retreat into a low block and don't give them much space in behind, which you would say might be a problem for Aubameyang. Um, but there's also lots of talk about the way Tuchel worked with Aubameyang in Germany, teaching him to make shorter, smaller runs, smaller movements inside the box to get free, to, to finish off cutbacks and things like that. So I think Tuchel will back himself to to get Aubameyang into positions where he's open and to get the ball to him, and then it's up to him to finish. Did Barcelona use him in a variety of ways, Paul? Or was there one way in particular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was used as a fluid striker, if you want to call it that way. He was primarily like a number nine because that's basically what Barcelona needed. But yeah, I think that in Barcelona, um, they they didn't see like this Aubameyang from Dortmund that was like just a really quick player that could break you on the counter. I think that um, he got used to play against like low blocks and just to wait for his opportunity, for his movement, for, for the space to, to attack. And I think that's, that's something that is going to be good for Chelsea because now um, he's at this stage of his career where his physical conditions are probably not the same than when he was 27. So he has had to learn like probably a new side of the game or just how to adapt himself to to yeah to to the requirements of the team that he's playing in. And I think that the role that he played at Barcelona could be kind of similar uh, at Chelsea, sorry, could be kind of similar of what he did at Barcelona. How does Chelsea line up then, Liam? If 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 the Champions League final was tonight, <laughs> right, and I realise all our tactical experts will be going, well, you can't ask that, Michael Cox will be going, you can't ask that question because it depends who the opponent is and they'd have a plan and blah, 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 blah. But let's say Chelsea are on the front foot. They're not worried about the opposition. It's the Champions League final tonight. How do they line up more more offensively, really? I think we could probably guess what the, the, the defence would be, but offensively. I think if the Champions League final were tonight, Chelsea would be overjoyed just to be in it, given the way they're playing at the moment. But no, I, th- I, th- I think it looks like um, Tuchel has been recruiting to try and reinforce the current tactical system rather than switching. We were told initially in the summer that he was looking at potentially back four formations, but it certainly looks like he wants to stick with that back three and with the flying wing backs. Um I think the the attack starts with, you know, Reese James playing at wing back rather than in the back three, uh, where he can really make the difference. And then, in the front three, it will be, I I think if in the biggest games it would be three of Havertz, Mount Sterling, Aubameyang, um, and and I think in that situation, I know you mentioned they're not worried about the opposition, but the way Tuchel generally picks his teams is he, he mixes and matches the combinations depending on what he thinks the weaknesses of the opponents are. And he likes to have those different options. So sometimes he'll he'll play split strikers with a number 10 in behind. Sometimes he'll play a striker with like a left 10 and a right 10, as he calls them, um, sort of switching places with the wing backs. So it, it, it would kind of depend who Chelsea were up against, but I would expect it to be three of those four. So you could still see very much Havertz 
as a central false nine, however you want to describe it, in certain situations. Yeah, I think you absolutely could. Um, with maybe a Yang off off the left of that three, and and Sterling we know can play off the right as off as well as off the left. Um, or you play Mount as a ten in behind Havertz and Yang. But whatever construction it would be, Tuchel would demand a lot of fluidity, a lot of positional interchange. I think you could pause the game at any moment uh, and just see them in different positions depending on where the ball is what the state of the game is. Um, and I think he likes that flexibility in his strikers. Which is why I'm sort of loath to ask this, but but with a World Cup on the horizon, maybe I, maybe I ought to ask this. It, it strikes me as the options that are available that Mason Mount might be one of the ones to suffer from his arrival. Potentially, um, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. People have some people have been predicting Mount to fall out of this team ever since Tuchel took over, and of course it happened in Tuchel's very first game. Yeah, and Mount's played yeah, virtually ever since, and and Mount has played at pretty much every game for every coach he's ever had. Because I think what makes the difference with him is that he's he he works so hard running against the ball, as Tuchel says, leading the press. I think that's the thing Tuchel values just about above all else. And then when you do have the ball, he's very intelligent at picking up little pockets of space, keeping the ball, but also managing to to pin teams back high up the pitch. He does a lot of things that I think people don't quite appreciate um, if they're just looking at goals and assists, although clearly he has to improve uh, in both areas based on what he's done so far this season. But I, I, I'm not sure he would be the most likely. I think on current form, it might be Havertz, um, just because he's in the team... He, he should be scoring more than he is. Um, but again, Tuchel really values his work off the ball. And you look at Sterling, he was Tuchel's big signing this summer. Um, so it, it's hard to pick which one it would be, which is why I, I kind of lean back towards what's the what's the nature of the opponent. I think that will influence Tuchel's thinking. Aubameyang's work rate? Is that an issue? I'm not sure. I mean, Tuchel doesn't seem to think it is. The, at least the memory of the player that he worked with before um, had no problem with his work rate on the pitch. Tuchel's mentioned explicitly in the last week or two Aubameyang's ability to fit into a pressing system. Um, now, whether he's he's still able, much less willing, to get through the same amount of physical work at age 33 as he was in his late 20s, we'll have to see. And uh, but I think Chelsea are also in the position where they don't have to play him every three days. I think he can be played when Chelsea need him most or maybe come off the bench in games. I think that will be part of it. But he, he, I, in a Tuchel team, you have to press. If you don't press, you won't play. And and so I think Aubameyang will have to commit to that. Yeah, yeah. I think this this was an issue in Barcelona. Xavi uh, was really happy about the attitude that Aubameyang showed on the pitch. Um of course, like playing in a high-pressing team like the center forward is a key figure, so he had to lead all the pressure, and I think that he did. Um, he was kind of an example on this. Um, when you speak to anyone in Barcelona, they tell you how he had kind of a role model position, even like for the young lads. Um, and like inside the pitch, yeah, I mean that's one that that was maybe one of the main reasons why Xavi didn't want to um, let him go, basically because he. He was like a proven goal scorer, but yeah, basically he worked a lot like in the pizza as well. So I think that he comes like in a 
good form to Chelsea in that regard. Um, of course, all of this pressing chat, tactical chat, goal scoring chat, uh, how he'll fit in is is all irrelevant, Liam, because he's he's taken the number nine shirt. So I mean, it's evident. I mean, it's just not going to work out, is it? So the last ten Doomed, minutes has been it? pointless. Doomed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I do have here uh, the last in the last eleven years. I'm naming just four here who've worn the number nine: Torres, Morata, Lukaku, Gonzalo Higuain on loan. Around £200 million was spent on those four. Uh, and let's not forget, the curse actually started with, with Chris Sutton. So that's how, that's how far back we'll go. I can't believe you cruelly snubbed Khalid Bullaroos there as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> did, Kesman, did Kesman wear the nine? I'm trying to remember. Um, I, remember. I, I, remember. I can't remember, actually. Falcao did too, I mean, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. but his curse started earlier <laughs> yeah. in his career. Yeah, to be yeah. fair, um, yeah. Well, we were also told um, f- for a different piece that we wrote a few weeks ago that there was one Abramovich era signing. I'm not going to say who, who point blank refused to take the number nine shirt at Chelsea because they'd been told that it was cursed and they they'd been convinced that something would go horribly wrong for them if they didn't, and and ultimately they they didn't wear it at Chelsea. Um, so yeah, it's it, it it is a it's a kind of a thing, but at the same time, Tammy Abraham did pretty well wearing the number nine yeah. shirt a couple of years ago. It, you know, him leaving Chelsea was less about that and more about just not clicking with Tuchel. Um, and I think the nature of top strikers is they back themselves to be the ones to break that. Well, at some point, it has to be broken, doesn't it, Paul? Uh, do you know who Barry Fry is, Paul? <laughs> not really. No, 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 right. Really. Barry, Barry Fry is a is an uh, an old uh, football league manager, uh, old school football league manager, uh, very much connected with Peterborough. But when he took over at Birmingham, there was a, apparently a curse at Birmingham at St Andrews, and to try and get rid of it, he went to this is right, isn't it, Liv? He went to every, he went to all four corners and had a wee in each corner to try and. <laughs> To, <laughs> to try and break the curse. So maybe Aubameyang just needs to get Barry Fry to have a wee on his shirt and then and then the curse will be broken. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, if we're uh, talking well, about Chelsea social media content, that would be absolutely <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> and hugely disturbing. Uh, welcome to English football culture, Paul. Thank you very uh, much. You're listening, <laughs> my pleasure. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast after the break. We'll look a little bit more at Todd Bowley's first window and also uh, this what felt like an ongoing battle between Barcelona and Chelsea all summer. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Athletic Football Podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting brand. And here's Bet365's Steve Freeth with the latest odds. Thrills, spills, goals, cards, and a bit of VAR controversy. I was lucky enough to be at Old Trafford on Sunday to see Manchester United shortening to 13-8 for a top four finish. However, as a neutral, I left the famous old ground being more impressed by Arsenal despite their defeat. In particular, the all-round game of Gabriel Jesus. And despite a blank, I could be tempted to back him for the PFA Player of the Year award. Currently a 16-1 chance with Bet365. He's 11-1 to win the Golden Boot this season, but unfortunately for him... 2-7 2-7 chance Erling Haaland already looks home and hosed with the Norwegian goal-getter 20-1 into 7-2 to break the Premier League scoring record of Messrs Shearer and Cole by scoring 35 or more in this campaign. He's 6-1 to bag 40 or more. Wow. It's looking good for Leicester who are now 2-1 from 20-1 to be relegated. Rodgers and out. Well, let's wait and see. For more odds, download the Bet365 app. Bet365, the world's favourite online betting brand. It feels like, Paul, when you look at Kunde, Rafinha, Alonso, Christensen, Aspilicueta, Frankie de Jong, Aubameyang, that one of Barcelona's tactics has been to try and wind Chelsea up as much as possible over this transfer window. Yeah, I'm sure they've done it. I'm sure they've done it inadvertently, but they've definitely managed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that well, the, they were like two clubs that did not have a normal summer, and that's basically what put them together. Because I think that both clubs like had several departments like to strengthen, and other departments that they needed to offload bodies, basically. Um, and I think that, yeah, basically, um, they did not have like, like the perfect script, either of them. Barcelona, with the numbers they have, with the debt, with the salary cap, and Chelsea with the takeover process, big players leaving, and a refresh that Tuchel was looking for. And at the end, somehow, I think that some of them found some win-wins, because Chelsea were, of course, undermined with Rafinha, with Kunde, with Lewandowski as... Um, it's out like on the piece that it's been out today at the Athletic. 
But I think that they also got their way with Azpilicueta. That was kind of a big blow for Barcelona. And probably, I think it's fair to say that with better conditions to work, any well-run club or normally-run club um, wouldn't have made the contact that Barcelona and Chelsea have done this summer. Yeah, and would you agree with that, Liam? And how frustrated have Chelsea been by Barcelona this summer? I think if you'd asked them earlier in the summer, sort of early July, um, the frustration would have been pretty high and you might have got a few words that you couldn't print. Um, I think they were were particularly annoyed with the Rafinha situation. That was the big one. Um, Not just with Barcelona, but also with Deco, his representative, and the the idea that Deco also had a role at Barcelona um, did not go down well, I think. Um, with, with Chelsea and they felt they kind of got a bit played on that one which maybe they did but that's the nature of the transfer window um, Kunde is slightly different because Chelsea never made Kunde a priority um, and, and Kunde felt that and, and I think that played into his final decision you know they they walked away on price last year of course that was previous ownership but then this year as soon as Tuchel started having more of a say over recruitment. They're looking at Delict, they're looking at Kimpembe, at Ake, all these different defenders, while Kunde's just waiting there at Sevilla for someone to come and buy him. And in the meantime, Barcelona are saying, we really want you, we just just let us get the money together. Um, and so I think it, in that sense, Chelsea Chelsea now insist they were the ones who pulled away from Kunde. Um, they decided Wesley Fofana was a much better fit for what they were looking for. But certainly the Rafinha one was a a cause of real tension. And I think also Chelsea weren't particularly happy with the way Barcelona were conducting themselves with Azpilicueta and Alonso as well, because they made that very clear that they wanted both players, but they didn't seem to want to pay for either of them. Um, And they were both under contract, which, you know, with all the other problems that the new Chelsea owners were dealing with, that was an unwelcome headache. Are all of these players now registered for Barcelona? They that, are. They're all re- they're all registered. They can all play. Surprisingly, that they are. How? I mean, what are the chances of them managing to do that? Yeah, I don't know what like the uh, money guy has done in Barcelona, but he probably deserves a race, basically, because I don't know how he solved this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, basically now now they are all safe and sound, and they have started like really well the season. To be honest, um, they like in the last three games in La Liga. They scored 11 goals. They they are starting to play brilliant. All the new signings are settling in like really, really good. So like like things in Barcelona are now looking as good as 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 ever, maybe in the last and five is the rest years. of is the rest of La Liga going, what the how how what why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that there is a bit of this feeling among like the other clubs, especially because there are clubs like Real Betis, like Sevilla, that had some problems with like re- registering new players. Mm. But yeah, I think that Real Madrid and Barcelona just play like a different league in that regard, in terms that they can get money and deals that a- any other club in Spain can. So yeah, basically that's that's what uh, made the difference for Barcelona. They are too big probably to to be in big troubles. Uh, let's bring it back to to Chelsea to to finish. Liam, the big read is out at, at the moment on on Todd Bowley and the transfer window and everything that's happened at Chelsea so far. What have you gauged on what people have uh, felt like dealing with him? Yeah, I think it's been interesting throughout European football 
um, because I think particularly when he first assumed the interim sporting director title, there were a lot of raised eyebrows that this American owner with no grounding in European football was just going to come in and, and throw himself into negotiations with agents and, and, and other executives. And I think there was a perception that Chelsea could be the whales at the poker table, you know, the ones that everyone is targeting and everyone wants to take money off, particularly when you see George Mendes has met Boley in Portugal and, you know, suddenly loads of guest a few clients are being linked with Chelsea. It, it felt like there were a lot of people eyeing Chelsea for, for business. Um, but I think in general, Boley's been a little bit more cautious um, than than maybe, you know, the, the, the worst fears would have, would have suggested. Um, I think they... They have negotiated at different at different times reasonably well, and I think that Kukurea was clearly an overpay. But I think you know, Kulibaly and Sterling, pretty defensible deals. The Fafana price ended up being significantly lower than was initially reported, and I, I think Bowley has been listening to advice. He hasn't just come in and assumed that he knows exactly what he's doing because he's he's got a long background in deals elsewhere um, so I think that's been a big part of it he's had a lot of help as I said from Egg Barley at Clear Lake and the other members of this ownership group um, and I think he's also been appreciated within the club uh, because you've gone from you know an owner in Abramovich who was never around who was who, who was only ever kind of seen through the presence of Marina Granovskaya at Chelsea um, to to an, an operating owner in in Todd Bowley, who is very very visible and very contactable, um, and the owner the new ownership have been down in the dressing room after games, you know, just saying hello to players and been at Cobham quite regularly over the summer, been in contact with Tuchel quite regularly. I think that's all appreciated because it, it makes after months of uncertainty, um, at times existential uncertainty. Uh, I think it's been very welcome at Cobham at Stamford Bridge to to have Bowley and the rest of the ownership group be so visible. And you can only judge a transfer window, can't you? Maybe two years down the track, really. So it's it's very unfair to try and analyse a transfer window straight afterwards. Yeah, but I I've think. Watched, but what? But I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> What's your analysis of this transfer window? Finally. Well, I think it's particularly the case when you look at some of the contracts they've given out. You know, they, they've spent a lot of money. They've managed to make that work in the accounts by giving out six, seven-year deals so that they can amortise the, the transfer fees over the length of those contracts. They've taken a big financial... Um, I wouldn't call it a, a, a risk necessarily, but I think, I think it's just a, a bold decision, shall we say. Um, to spend so much in this in this one window in their first window because if things go wrong if they don't get Champions League football this year it could limit them in future windows with FFP um, but they're they're making the they're making the bet essentially that they've they can sign really good young players um, that they can strengthen the squad for now and the future and that in the next couple of years you know some of these young players over the course of these long deals will really blossom at Chelsea 
at Thomas under Thomas Tuchel or whoever the next coach might be um, over the course of those contracts and that the club will be in a really strong position because of it. I think it, it's a bold decision in part because they don't have, they didn't have a football structure this summer. They didn't have a sporting director and it's quite interesting now that they'll, they'll be pitching sporting directors when they've just spent net 200 million in yeah. a window. If you're one of those sporting directors, you have to be thinking, well, what money am I going to get? <laughs> To, to spend on this but um, it's been a, a very very ambitious window I think they, they also wanted to make a statement that standards were not going to be allowed to drop from what had happened in the Abramovich era that Chelsea is still about competing for the biggest trophies um, and at the very least they've done that it's it's too early to say whether these deals will, will work but um, I think that they've certainly shown the, the scale of their ambition Liam Paul, thank you very much. Uh, and and Paul, if we never ever talk again, you, I will always have given you the Barry Fry story. Yeah. So there we are. <laughs> I'm not, not going to forget it. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you. <laughs> we will work again, though. See you soon. Thank you both. That's it. If you're still scratching your head, by the way, over Barcelona's summer spending, scroll back through this podcast feed and you can hear more from Paul and Adam Crafton on that. I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Hit subscribe. I'll see you then. The Athletic.